Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Four Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek, and in this episode, I guess is Richard Deitch, the writer and editor with The Athletic. In the conversation you're about to hear, Richard and I talk at length about how the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting the world of sport and how recently the rescheduling of golf's major championships could force CBS, NBC, and Fox Sports to work together along with the NFL in order to broadcast the Masters, the U.S. Open, and the Ryder Cup, and how golf's biggest events could get their highest ratings ever this fall. Finally, we talk about what it's going to take to bring sports back in the United States. Get stronger, hit longer, and end pain with Golf Forever. Created by Justin Leonard and co-author of the Younger Next Year Back book, Dr. Jeremy James, Golf Forever is the Take Anywhere online golf fitness program that helps you build a body prime for golf. It's simple, safe, and it works. At home, in the gym, on the golf course, Golf Forever's easy-to-follow exercises, warm-up routines, and course management videos will help you play your best pain-free. Sign up today at GolfForever.com and use promo code GOLFWEEK for a free 14-day trial. So I don't think that my guest this week on the Forward Press is going to be the least bit offended when I say that I had no intention a couple months ago of having Richard Deitch on my program on the Tuesday of Masters Week. Um, This was supposed to be one of the big weeks for golf. This is one of the times when golf actually gets onto the front page of most uh, sports sections and sometimes onto the front page of the paper, regardless of what Tiger Woods happens to be doing. But I want to welcome Richard Deitch to the Forward Press podcast. For those of you who may not know, Richard worked for about 20 years or so, writing and editing all kinds of content at Sports Illustrated, but really sort of made a name for himself covering sports journalism and the sports media world. He's been writing since 2018, if I'm not mistaken, for The Athletic, um, and has an excellent podcast. If you're the least bit interested in sports business, sports media, and sort of the sports media world almost as a beat, you can listen to his podcast, which is called Sports Media with Richard Deitch. Um doing afternoon drive radio for CJCL Sports Talk Radio, if I'm not mistaken, up in Toronto. And you can follow him on at Richard Deitch on Twitter. Deitch, how you doing, pal? Uh, I'm good, David. Great to hear your voice again. And I take no offense to uh, me being truly one of the last people on earth you would be calling (laughs) for a Masters Week podcast. But, But I'm happy to be with you. Have you ever been to a golf tournament? That's a good question. Um... Let me think about this way back in the day. Because you've covered a lot no. of different things. I, I, yeah, like li- literally it is – I have covered a lot of sports and certainly a lot of sports at Sports Illustrated. But no, I've never been to a professional golf tournament. And it would. And again, while I am certainly not, quote unquote, a golf person, I would find that fascinating because I have never been to one. CBS a couple of times has offered to bring me uh, behind, the scene, behind the scenes for one of their um, – Mm-hmm. golf broadcast it just the timing has never happened but i would find that really really interesting 
Well, can you imagine going, for example, this is the week that we obviously should be at the Masters. And um, that is, to paraphrase Jim Nance, a tradition unlike any other for media people. Because uh, imagine, if you will, going to cover the Super Bowl or the World Series, and you are not allowed to bring your cell phone inside the stadium. Um, when you go to the Masters, you have to sort of play by the rules set by the Augusta National Golf Club, which were have pretty much stayed unchanged by and large since the time of Bobby Jones and uh, Clifford Roberts' founding of the club back in the in the late twenties, early thirties. So no cell phones allowed out there. Uh, so you have to break out your literally your your recording device that actually records instead of using your phone. Um, photographers are not allowed inside the ropes, so all the photojournalists have to mingle out there with the fans to actually get the images that you see. Uh, the television cameras are hidden so that they don't disrupt the, the views of the patrons. And we're, we're encouraged to use the word patrons in all of our texts <laughs> rather than fans. And there is no corporate village or corporate signage anywhere on the grounds. The only logo that you see is the Augusta National Masters logo. There's no corporate village. There's no chalets. There's none of that kind of stuff. Um, can you, I, I have yet to think about any sporting event in the world that still does it that way have you ever heard of something else like that no i don't think i think the masters is unique uh what do they say what's the what's the latin phrase sui generis uh the uh, there's there's no i don't think there's anything close in sports that reflects that now obviously they can do that for a number of reasons one they're essentially a private tournament so they Mm -hmm. can make their own rules two it's such a prestigious place that people are willing to bend to um, to what the club wants, including CBS. I, I will say this. I have a love and hate of, of, uh, sort of relationship with the Masters. I think it's an amazing tournament to watch on TV. It's obviously a beautiful course. I certainly, res- I certainly respect the tradition, but I hate the uh, I hate the lack of inclusiveness. Now, I know they've gotten better, but it just – it always, to me, comes off like such a closed and privileged club, which yeah. it is. Yep. That said, it is it is the singular golf tournament that as a casual, at best, golf fan mm-hmm. that I will always tune in for because I have such great respect for the history of it. And I just think it's kind of a beautiful thing to watch. But, but I... At the same time, there's so much of the Masters that I'm that I am not a, that I'm not a fan of, and and some of the things you um, sort of mentioned, just to the point of like calling people patrons and and yep. you know uh, sort of big brothering like the CBS yep. broadcast to make sure that things are um, things are sort of presented and and done the way the Masters wants to do. Yeah, I mean the Masters is essentially CBS as assignment editor. Which is very, very odd to me. It's it's a very backwards kind of way to look at it. And yeah, I think that most people who go, most journalists who go to cover the event feel the exact same way. It, the, the, it's, it's interesting also, Richard, the evolution of your feelings about the tournament as the week goes on. When you arrive on Sunday night or Monday and you first get to the club, everyone's eager because this is the first major. We haven't had traditionally a major championship since August um, or July, depending on exactly sort of how the, the schedules have sort of worked out. And so it's been a long time since there's been a big, prestigious golf tournament. Everything about the winter and the spring is leading up to the Masters. So you get there, and I immediately have a tradition of walking all 18 holes and seeing it, and it's like a video game or some Disney production brought to life, except it's real. 
the green that you you'll never find a weed. It's all these cliches. They're really true. I mean, it's 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 the most beautiful golf course. And when you when you turn certain corners and you look, you're like, oh, I've seen that on CBS or I've seen this in in pictures all over the place. And and there it is. And you're like, oh my gosh, it really looks like that. And at the same time, by the time you get to Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it's hard and challenging at times to do your job as well as you would want, especially when you know that this is going to be one of the times when you are most read, when the focus is on golf. It it falls in a time when traditionally um, we have just come out of the Final Four and the National Championship game would be played on the Monday night, usually, of Masters Week. Um, So college basketball is done. The NBA playoffs really haven't gotten going at that point. Major League Baseball is just starting. So... Only the most hardcore baseball people are really into it. Football is at a quiet period. So golf has an opportunity to take center stage, and, and, and you you should be the most red you're going to be. It's this one and the U.S. Open, really, are the two prime times. And um, it can be hard but with the way that it's set up. One of the other things that can be really hard is I would imagine raising twins in shelter-in-place kind of situations. You are the father of twins. You're up in Toronto, as you'd said. What is life like for you guys right now? How are things going up there? Well, you know, one of the first things we had to do, um, we, uh, I was in the States for uh, the first week of March. And one of the things that had to happen when we came back to Toronto was by, by sort of, it, not law per se, but certainly by the recommendation of the Canadian government, we had to self-quarantine for 14, 14 days because we had been um, – we had been at a place that was on the list of hotspots for mm-hmm. the um, government of Canada. Since then, even a couple of days later, essentially everywhere in the United States fell under that. But at the time we came back, it was California, New York, and Washington State. And so we, uh, you know, we self quarantined for 14 days, and um, you know, thankfully no symptoms uh, at all. Although we did come into contact with somebody who did test positive for COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Uh, that woman, um, a friend of the family, has since um, rebounded and, and feels better. So that's Good. great news. So great. once we got past our 14 days, we've since essentially just, you know, like probably most people in the States, we're, we're only going out for pharmacy or groceries. Uh, we are basically homebound mm-hmm. every single day. The schools have been closed now in Toronto and throughout Canada for three weeks and essentially no businesses are open except for those that are dubbed essential businesses. And then things like restaurants are takeout only or delivery only. So in essence, the, the, the country has generally speaking shut down for the most part. Mm-hmm. And um, so our existence is, I think, very similar to a lot of Americans who are doing the same thing. One very big difference, and this is sort of no genius observation, is um, COVID-19 is not as politicized in Canada as it, as it is in the States. Mm-hmm. You see more health officials talking in Canada than you do in the States. But as a general rule, I don't think my um, experience at the moment would be so much diff- so much different than um, somebody who lives in like, you know, Dayton, Ohio, or, um, or, uh, you know, or, you know, we're your Hartford, sure. Connecticut. Yeah. It's, so, it's, it's, we're all sort of going through the same thing. One of the things I wanted to ask you, if I'm not mistaken, is the prime minister's wife was diagnosed as having COVID-19 or having the virus. Is that correct? Yes. Although has since recovered, uh, I believe is, yep. uh, 
Because that was that was a few weeks ago, I remember that that came out, and I was yeah. just wondering if because of that, because a high profile person was relatively early on diagnosed as being positive, if, if you think that is something that permeated through the country or the culture, so that immediately it would be taken a little bit more seriously than perhaps it was initially in, in the United States, that somebody of that stature is positive, then this is something we all need to really be aware of. Uh, yeah, I think probably the short answer on that is yes. I, I think what you've seen from any of these kind of, whenever you see any kind of uh, sort of pub public health um, initiative or something something that really impacts the the you know large P public health, I think when someone very very famous uh, sort of is dealing with whatever that public health crisis is, I think that has a massive effect on the public at large following. Mm -hmm. You saw that with Magic Johnson when it came to HIV. Yeah. And I would say rather than Sophie Trudeau, David, I think one of the biggest things, at least in terms of people taking COVID-19 at least a little more serious, was Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson, yeah. who, if you remember, a couple yeah. weeks ago were Australia. the— Yeah, maybe the first, first very, very famous people to get it. And I do think—and now we've obviously seen over the last couple of weeks— um, very well-known people have it. You probably at this point, depending on where you live in the country, you probably know somebody who has it or know somebody who knows somebody mm -hmm. who has it. Um, so yeah, I, I think undoubtedly that, that, that early on, I think that sort of, that shook people a little bit in that, wow, the prime minister's wife has this, which, you know, if you're sort of just willing to, to, acknowledge it to yourself it should have just proven there that the virus basically can get anybody it's it's you know it doesn't matter your economic class it doesn't matter your uh occupation it doesn't matter where you live there in ottawa uh you know not you know i'm in toronto so you you um yeah i, I would say anecdotally at least i do think it had an impact for sure I don't see how it couldn't. Um, to me, that makes total sense. Uh, as I mentioned, sort of in the, my introduction to you, you're contributing and doing things for all different types of media outlets at this point, the athletic being the one that I think most of my listeners would be the most familiar with. You wrote a column, an essay, really. You wrote a gamer um, about the University of Oregon basketball star Sabrina Ionescu winning the national championship, obviously, fictitiously. Um, explain sort of what you guys are going through, what you personally are doing um, to fill the airwaves up in Toronto, to fill up your notebooks when there's no sports being played, golf or otherwise. What types of things do you do to sort of to contribute? What What have you been doing? Yeah. By the way, I wish more people read that piece because oh, actually, fantastic. It's pretty, it's pretty pretty creative. Uh, but it's women's basketball. It's always sort of a, it's a passion of mine, but it's a tough sell sometimes. Yep. Uh, out there in the universe. Um, you know, the one thing about the athletic, and I think you recognize this too from working in Sports Illustrated and golf, if you hire talented people, both um, both who write, who report, who are editors, who are IT people, you really will never run out of ideas. There's just, there's too much creativity in the world um, of journalism to run out of ideas if you hire the right people. Now, absolutely a massive challenge with no live sports going on as to... You know, what do you write about and how do you do it? So, you know, The Athletic has more than 400 writers on staff. Um, most of them are assigned to a specific beat um, in terms of like a sp specific team uh, in a specific city. I'm a little bit different in that I cover sports media for them. So my landscape is sort of your broad, uh, sure. 
yeah, broader, na- you know, more national figures and sort of uh, it covers the entire country. So for me, um, it's I don't think it's as challenging or difficult for me because like, yeah, keep in mind, like all these companies are going to try to figure out how are they going to program during COVID-19 and what does that mean? So that's very interesting there. What kind of contingency plans exist, um, you know, when sports comes back and how they're approaching that. For the events that happen, like the NFL draft, well, how how is ESPN and NFL Network going to combine to put that on? A couple days ago, I wrote about um, the ESPN sort of moving up the Jordan documentary, the 10-part Jordan documentary that a lot of people want to see. I can tell Um, you that Charlie Dusek has got that circled on the calendar with stars. He was over the moon, as, as am I. I'm fascinated. By, by seeing should be should should be really good. So I'll give you a perfect example, like sort of something that I just wrote mm-hmm. on March 31st. You know, we're in we're we're weeks now into the pandemic. There's no sports going on, but I saw that Ernie Johnson, the TNT broadcaster, decided to basically hold online classes on Twitter mm-hmm. for young broadcast journalists who are interested in the profession. So that to me is like, wow, that's a really kind of creative use of social media during this pandemic. Called Ernie up and asked him sort of you know what. Um, what prompted him to do this? Um, who does he ideally want to have as part of his sort of online or, or internet, internet faculty? Um, you know, does, what did he expect it to be in? What is it now and what will it become? And I got a lot of people interested in that. I did, I sold eight subs off that basically <laughs> for the athletic, which is kind of amazing in, you know, again, a non-sports time. Yeah. So, um, so I, um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of – to me, for in my particular beat, I, I, I will not run out of stories. It's a little more challenging, let's say, if you're covering like – let's say you cover the Toronto Raptors, you cover the yeah, Warriors. That's tough. Well, you got to figure out creative ways to do it. So one of the things that I've seen our guys do is they start doing stuff like you know the 25 uh, – you, know, you do the, the sort of obvious stuff like the 25 greatest Toronto Raptors. But then you can get a little sort of crazy and say the 25 like – you know, craziest figures mm-hmm. in the history of the team, you know, 10, 10 games that you can see right now in quarantine, you, you talk to, uh, uh, you try to project, let's say what the 2021, 2022, 2023 roster might look like. So you start sort of, you know, you think in terms of, um, sort of evergreen or fun pieces that mm-hmm. you can do. And then you try to do whatever you can in terms of, um, the current roster to give people interesting things to read. Now, obviously, the one thing you hope for and this is this is my nice little segue for you mm. is you hope that you get some news. So, like for instance, in the golf world, yesterday as we're taping this was a massive day, Big day. when they ske- when they scheduled all these um, you know all these significant golf tournaments for prospective dates. So, you know, if you're a golf writer, that should give you a week content, yep. basically, yeah, because yep. there's 15, 15 angles on that story. So, you know, if you're the athletic, you're really you're, you're trying to come up with creative outside the box ideas. And then if your team gives you any kind of news, you run with that as hard as you can. So for people out there who are going to be listening, what Richard's referring to is on Monday, basically many of the games governing bodies all got together and... It was. I was so proud to, to sort of see it, how realistic the schedule is, we're going to know. There's so many questions, and Richard, get ready to be asked several questions that it's not even fair for me to ask you these things. But um, the PGA Championship, as of right now, is looking like August 3rd through 9th. They still want to have that at TPC Harding Park in San Francisco. 
Um, originally, that would have been played in May in San Francisco, and that obviously was not going to happen. The U.S. Open being pushed from its traditional Father's Day weekend date in Mamaroneck, New York at Wingfoot Golf Club. That is now looking like the middle of September, still at Wingfoot. Um, the Ryder Cup to be the immediate week after in Kohler, Wisconsin. That, once again, is going to be the best or the top uh, point-getting American players versus the Europeans. And then we're looking at a Masters that will be played the week of November 9th. Augusta, Georgia in fall has got a lot of people intrigued. Let me sort of jump in with you to the broadcasting portion of that, assuming that those things can actually happen. And I think personally the PGA Championship in August, which would be on CBS, is the one that would face the most challenge. We don't know where this virus, where the progressions are going to be in terms of curves and flattening and just general public safety and health in August in San Francisco. Um, what what happens for CBS? Like, If you get that date and you're a CBS executive, how much faith do you put in that? And what do you start to have to do to plan about that? Because you the, the structures, a lot of them are now totally disjointed. People are all over the place. How do you plan to broadcast an event that's a big one in a city where you probably can't go for a while? Well, yeah. I mean, what you do is you do as much planning as you can prior to that prospective date that doesn't involve, um, you know, that doesn't involve literally traveling to that location. Um, if you're CBS, you know, you do have the advantage that you have that many years of golf experience. You have a lot of producers, directors, camera people who have experience in covering a golf tournament. So you're in pretty good position in terms of they're able to work under not the most ideal circumstances because they've done this before. You do obviously your pre-planning in terms of you talk to whatever, the, you know, you talk to the club, you figure out what kind of uh, facilities that you can get when you ultimately, um, when you ultimately are able to travel to that club. But the most important thing for a CBS, David, right now is it's, it's the schedule. It's the programming in terms of what do you, what would you normally have on that block? And how do you schedule around it? The good news for an August date is if you're CBS, you're really you're not you're, you're not going to have to change anything. You just basically put that into your programming schedule, and you're able to air that golf tournament without costing you any kind of lost revenue for what you may be canceling there. So, the far more tricky one for CBS yeah. is going to be the Masters. Yeah. Because that's an NFL, you know, the final Sunday of the Masters would be an NFL weekend. Well, Fox, um, and Fox, Richard, is going to have the same thing. If they host the U.S. Open, correct. which is theirs, and you're now talking September 20, that is going to be a college football weekend. Again, if everything goes great and we all have our fingers crossed that it does, Fox has to deal with a college football weekend on the Saturday and then an NFL weekend on the Sunday of the, of, of the U.S. Open. How do they balance that? Well, um, excellent question. What, 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 <laughs> I told you they what they're going to have, yeah, what they're going to have to do, I think what both CBS and Fox are going to have to do is they're going to have to ask the NFL for help here in scheduling, understanding that they're in these very unique circumstances where they're going to have, uh, a major golf event that that's running up against the NFL. So it's two rights holder properties that are massively important to both companies. And so, what you would probably end up doing if you're Fox and CBS is you would talk to the NFL and quite frankly, perhaps even talk to one of your competitors to see if the, you know, if some schedule alleviation can happen 
where maybe you do some horse trading. So for example, and again, I'm just sort of, this, this, I did this, no report, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no reporting on this, but a guess. So the Sunday of the masters, if you're CBS, you, um, you know, you, it, it, if you have an early game, that's very tricky because you're given the, the time of the year, mm-hmm. the masters final round is going to start in the morning. And go certainly past one o'clock. Well, let, so, let me let me let me correct you just a minute because I know this is getting a little bit out of what you're on. Know, typically, um, CBS will start the Sunday coverage of the Masters late, the, the, right. exactly. So they'll usually, but they start, can't. But but is but the issue now is that sundown mm-hmm. is five twenty five. Exactly, exactly. Right? And that's one so, of the things I was going to get to is traditionally the final right. group goes off between two thirty and two forty five. Correct. Well, in November you're going to probably have sundown. I'm imagining say five thirty. Or, or so, so the means, final so right yeah. so play it out so the final round let's say they come on at one mm-hmm. so that's the issue they cannot show an NFL game that kicks off at one and also do the Masters right. they also can't get the late game because even if the NFL helped them out and pushed it back they're not going to the NFL's not pushing kickoff back to six nope so I think if you're CBS we'll just take the Masters for example yeah if you're CBS and the Masters I think CBS will ask the NFL to give them like a as crazy as this sounds, a Monday or yeah. Saturday game. Yep. Um, Which Saturday I'm sure night. That they now, would be obviously. more than happy to do because imagine the rating on a special Monday night game. I mean, correct. I, I now would imagine they'd be more than happy to do that if you get the teams that would be willing to do it. But again, continue on. Right. ESPN owns Monday Night Football. Mm-hmm. I don't know what ESPN's contract is with the NFL in terms of do they have some kind of exclusivity where no game can be played on that day that ESPN doesn't broadcast. Mm-hmm. So this is where I think eventually the NFL is going to have to get creative. Maybe you do something crazy like the first ever Tuesday night football game on CBS, which yes. I'm with you, would draw massive, massive yeah. numbers post-Masters. So I think even though the NFL draws higher ratings than the Masters, I think CBS, for sure, if that date exists, is going to keep the Masters on that Sunday. You, 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 If you're CBS... Given the Masters contract situation, these one-year contracts, you got to them. You got to make them happy. Yeah, you you have to appease them. I mean, to me, that that's one where you, even if the NFL is not happy, you have to, if you're CBS, choose the Masters over the NFL, even if you lost one weekend of NFL games. But I think in that situation, CBS could ask the NFL for scheduling help, and I think Fox will ask um, will ask the NFL for that as well. Fox seems to have David though a little bit more leeway to run with on that because um, because it's an August date mm-hmm. and the likelihood is the NFL would not be starting then. So the only thing Fox would lose in August is potentially baseball or potentially some exhibition game. I think they'll be okay. Right. So Fox will have the U.S. Open September. But yeah, I, I get your point. September. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, oh, I no, think, wait, wait. CBS, forget, so forget, CBS. Forget CBS it. For, is literally. Have, for, right. CBS yeah, for, is going to have. Forget about what I just said then. <laughs> what, when, is the, when is the U.S. Open date? The U.S. Open date is going to be mid-September. So as I was sort of hinting at is, is that. Yeah. So I'm wrong about uh, that. So then I take that back. Fox C, has C, the CBS exact same that, situation. Yeah. CBS is going to get the better of it with the PGA Championship. Which is going to be in August because, as you had mentioned, okay, PG, you're, right, right, right. You're, you're not going to have nearly as big a conflict. I mean, a baseball game here, there, like, okay, that's fine, but but Fox is going to run into it in September, so there's going to have to be some juggling around, and from what you're saying, some negotiations, and it's going to be in everybody's best interest. I, I am sure that if if there's movement of football games and this, and that, nobody wants to overlap these things if they can all help it, and especially coming out of right now, no sports. I would think, and we're seeing this in other industries. This is something, and 
tell me if you think that I'm wrong with this. Everyone wants to be cool about everything at this point. And I realize that business is business, but you're seeing many different companies and my mailbox, you know, when I go carefully go out to the mailbox and emails that are coming in, companies are trying to seems like go out of their word to, to present a very positive spin on an awful situation. Hey, if you think you're going to be late with your car payment, let us know. We will we'll, we'll backdate it. We'll work with you on this one. Hey, if you've been furloughed, if you've been you know put placed out of your job because of the COVID nineteen pandemic, we want to help you. Says the credit card company. Now, it's in everybody's best interest to do those things. How much will broadcast networks play along with each other and be good in the sandbox? Do you think, given the scope and the size of everything that's happening right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they will. I mean, you, you gotta remember, even though these people compete against each other, Fox and ESPN have done a lot of um, uh, sort of co-productions together when it comes to the UFC. Yep. Uh, these, these networks have, um, you know, CBS and Turner have a long time NCAA uh, tournament connection. The NFL Network and ESPN are going to combine on the NFL draft this year. So the, it, while the networks compete for ad dollars and talent and uh, and exposure. They will absolutely work with each other because it's to their benefit to help each other out here. Think, you know, ultimately, yeah. yeah. If you're if you're if you're any of these networks, ultimately your sort of driving goal here is to be able to find windows, separate windows for your highest profile properties. So CBS's and Fox goal is how can we broadcast these major golf tournaments as well as the NFL and get audience for both of them on separate days. That's your whole ball game. And I think um, each network will help each other network out when it comes to this. The only thing the, the networks aren't going to help each other out on is, you know, when it comes to like the best NFL games out there, they all want, of course. you know, they all want the best game. Every network's going to want a, a Tom Brady game this year mm-hmm. against a really, really good team. And so they're not going to help each other out there. But yeah, I think you're going to see camaraderie here because they're all in the same boat. I mean, they've all, they're all going to take months and months of lost revenue hits. They've all, they're all going to have layoffs. No company um, is immune to any of this. Even the companies, um, you know, that have, you know, so much, so much capital and so much cash. They're all going to be, they're all going to be hit by this. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all want to, you know, they, they've invested, particularly in golf. You know, Fox is invested now. <laughs> You know, millions and millions and millions of dollars, and oh, CBS yeah. over the course of its lifetime has invested billions. So they're all in on this, and they have to figure out um, the best ways to do it. The one thing that will be, again, I think, and this is just sort of my, you know, sort of top above the mountain That's, analysis here. Yep. I think golf. I think the majors will get a significant bump in viewership. I, I was going to ask you that because I would think that, that if you get a, yeah, if you get a Masters are be, in any, November, it's going to be enormous. Any, yes. Any major event, any major event in any sport, I think will get a viewership bump because of the absence of those sports. And while I can't guarantee that like the week-to-week golf tournaments will get a bigger jump in viewership when they start again, mm-hmm. I guarantee the majors will because they will be in, they will be in unique time slots and that in itself will prompt casual viewers, I think, to check it out. Because like you just said, the idea of a Masters in November is really, really interesting. And really interesting for someone who's not even a big golf person. Yeah. So we've got about 10 minutes left. I promise you that I'd sort of co I've got a gazillion things I want to ask you. But um, explain to me sort of as someone who is not in the golf industry but sort of understands a lot of the ins and outs of the stuff that we've just been talking about. Where is golf's place in the broadcast world? I perceive 
football to still be king in the United States, but basketball really ascending and on the rise. I think with a younger generation, basketball and the NBA have done a tremendous job of reaching out and, and taking advantage of social media and really getting their star players into sort of the social portion of, of the American awareness. Golf, to me, has been presented as going to a very, very desirable demographic, typically highly educated, high family net worth. Um, that's, a, that's a demographic that's, that's really prized by advertisers, and golf can deliver that. Is that accurate? Where, where does golf sort of fit in, in, in sort of the, the broadcast universe? Well, your last part is certainly accurate. It definitely hits a, a, a very high economic demo. It, uh, the, the discretionary income that golf viewers have, I would imagine, is among the highest of any of the professional sports mm-hmm. that are out there uh, in sort of affluent viewership, which is, you know, has its sort of advantages. In terms of sort of where it ranks, you know, it really just depends on what your metric is. Like okay. if you want to use viewership as a metric, well, golf ranks behind the NFL. It ranks behind the NBA. It ranks behind college football. It ranks on a week-to-week basis. Let's sort of do the math here in my head. Um, <laughs> do we beat Walker, rank, Texas Ranger? Yeah, uh, rank, ranks, ranks, rank, maybe ranks around or a little below NASCAR. Okay. But the thing with golf, though, is – this is what I'm only talking about week-to-week. But mm-hmm. the thing with golf, though, is golf has certain tournaments that will beat – you know, almost all of those sports except the NFL. Like it, the Masters is going to beat any NBA game except the finals. The Masters is going to beat every NHL game, including the um, including the Stanley Cup. I actually didn't ma- mention baseball. The Masters will beat every baseball game except the World Series. Traditionally, the um, Masters, if, from the last bits, and I, I don't have the the stuff from last season, obviously, but I would imagine it's high. Usually, the Masters will draw on the Sunday a ten to a twelve. Um, right for the rating i would suspect even with the time change last year because we started the final round of the masters due to weather early a tiger woods 15th major win was probably enormous in terms of a rating and so i would think yeah and, might, and it would if i remember right it would have been bigger but that the time changed right, right. everything we started at 7 30 traditionally they're starting yeah. at 10 30 and you would really get tiger woods coming off and, and hitting and, and, and winning it say 6.30, quarter of 7 o'clock, and, and the sunset, and, and the whole thing builds. And really, we were done by, I think, 2.30 or 3 o'clock last year, which was very weird and very early to, to, to write and file stories and then have Sunday evening, by and large, free. I mean, that was a brand new thing for me working at the Masters. But, but please continue. So y- you, you would anticipate that we're going to see the ratings bumps, and golf has these spikes at certain times that, that the networks like? Yeah, so I mean, listen, golf is a good property. It's a good property to have because it because pe- people are not only interested in the sport, but it serves as sort of a that's the weird thing about golf and tennis is it, it's almost all also serves as a bit of a service oriented broadcast where golfers can watch these players um, do what they do and then try to go out on the golf course and and emulate and learn them. You, you're not, you don't do that in basketball because you can't dunk like... <laughs> I'm not going to uh, be Kevin Durant. Exactly. Right, right, exactly. You're, right, you can't dunk like Aaron Gordon or Kevin Durant. So, you know, so there's value there. But where it ranks sort of in the universe um, on a week-to-week basis has so much to do with what that particular tournament is. And the majors, obviously, are going to draw uh, more than anything. Like the Ryder Cup will draw sort of significantly but there are you know there are tournaments on a week-to-week basis where 
Um, you know, they may draw a million, a million and a half, or they may draw under a million. And, you know, that's like the equivalent of like a, you know, an ESPN, um, you know, college football game that, that airs at like uh noon or something like that. So it's a good sport. It, it's to me, it's, it, if you're sort of considering like what's a tier one property, like for sports mm-hmm. television, it, it, it's it it, it it borders between like tier one to me and tier one a okay so if like to me like the nfl is tier one i might put the nba the olympics being above uh, major everything, league baseball assume, right? the olympics college football is tier one and then yep. there's this whole next group mm-hmm. that includes golf but golf in terms of like an individual sport much better property than tennis and i'm somebody who loves uh, tennis but that's just a reality it's yep. a better much better property than let's say like uh, U.S. domestic soccer, which golf would blow out of the water. I think it's a much better property than NASCAR because it has far more growth. So it's a very, very good television property. And there's a reason why, you know, fo- whether you like Fox's production of golf or not, there's a reason why they went so big in terms of money because everybody wants a part of this pie. So one of the questions now, my, I'm going to sort of transition from that into um, the actual broadcast and what. The PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan is going to have to sell, I would imagine, to some degree, his players as well as golf fans eventually coming back. What do, what does he have to do? What does um, Adam Silver have to do when they want to bring the games back? I would imagine there's two two parts of this. Number one, what do you have to tell the athletes and the fans to make people be willing and feel comfortable to come back and compete? Um, that's the, I guess, the first part. Let's let's go with that. What what do they need to do in order to get the games going and have the athletes feel safe? What what do they need to tell them? Well, I mean, one, they need medical, they need they need medical authorities and uh, public health officials and wherever the venue is to sign off and sort of say it's safe for it's safe for players to play or you know it is safe for players to play in this quarantine controlled environment. Um, I think we're a long ways away from that. I you know, agree. baseball's talking about, you know, putting its players in like Arizona and essentially quarantining each team in like um, a facility and having testing like sort of at the, um, you know, at the field. I mean, think of all, I mean, just think of everything that has to happen to, to even make that possible. And you could still have somebody who's asymptomatic and test. Mm-hmm. Um, golf has some advantages in that. It's a limited field, so I guess in theory you can, you know, you limit the the people who are on the course to this group of players. You can sort of social distance mm-hmm. uh, because of how the sport is from both individual groups as well as the different groups that are playing on the course. Um, you can eliminate crowds, so that would eliminate people there. Although I don't know if golf wants to do that without the crowds because obviously ticket sales are a big part of the sport. And then you could probably eliminate officials. Um, So I would say this, what what Monaghan's going to have to do is he's going to have to provide an environment where the players feel safe. Um, The last one with golf, and this is a unique to golf and some other sports, they have global players. So honestly, you got no idea what well, certain right. athletes are sort of dealing with in their particular countries. One country may have a bigger outbreak of COVID than yeah. another. And so, you know, so that's a factor as well. I, I don't think, I mean, again, I could be wrong. I'm not so sure any sport could start up again without 
medical officials basically testing every particular person who either competes or who is part of that sport. So just I would say think about all the things that have to happen for that to be in place. I'm talking about on-site testing, right. not, not, yeah, not no, testing like, your like hospital. Bef- before you even Temperature step foot checks, inside the robes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, all that stuff. So that's just a lot to do to make it happen. And then finally, you have to have the players who are willing to actually go. I mean, it is it will be a risk to players still. You can't, until there's a vaccine, you can't guarantee their total safety. Well, and, and the and thing so that's you, unique with golf, you know, yeah. Richard, is that golfers are technically independent contractors. The league is, and, and Jay Monaghan, the commissioner, is they, they work for the players. So if I am Tiger Woods or if I am Rory McIlroy, just because there's a tournament doesn't mean I have to go play it. I can skip whatever I would like to skip, and I can show up two years from now, depending on your stat. But but you get my point. Um, and there are some guys who are going to be in more economically – stressed positions potentially and they're gonna be like you know what i'm compelled to go play this because i got bills i gotta pay and this is an opportunity for me to go get a check if i make the cut i make some money i can do some of these things my sponsors checks start flowing because once i'm going through everyone's gonna have to weigh that stuff out differently but but the fact that golfers are independent contractors and not beholden to a team or a league makes it not just because there's a term it doesn't guarantee that your favorite player is going to be saying yeah sign me up let's go let's go play this the other part of the question that I want to get to, because I, I know we got to let you go here, is um, it seems to me that there would be inherent risk of being the first league, whether it's the PGA Tour or MLB or, or whoever is going to do it, the, the NBA. Do you want to be the first league back and coming through? Because the risk then is, yeah, you, you're, you're going to be the only game in town, literally and proverbially, but, but the risk of coming out too early, of putting your athletes at risk, or being perceived by the public as, oh, what are they doing? Those guys are crazy. They, this is not a safe environment, and yet they're going off and doing this. And it's, it feels like UFC is sort of walking this fine line right now with wanting to have some of this stuff. But you don't want to be last either because that's, that's so much potentially lost revenue and lost exposures. It seems like the sweet spot – is to be in the middle. Do, do you agree that that the leagues and, the, and a lot of these different gov- you know, bodies are going to have to look around at each other and like, who's going to test the waters first? I actually think they all want to go first, to be honest. Oh, really? I think they, if, yeah, if they go first, we I mean, got to think how these guys think. They're all, <laughs> you know, they're, they've lost revenue. They've lost momentum. They all want to get back as soon as possible. And I think they think that if they can be the first back and if things go well, um, they're going to have the entire sports universe to themselves, at least for a little bit. And yeah. that, you know, that, that can think of the potential monies that you can, you can bring in both short term and long term. That mm-hmm. said, I'm with you. Here's the big downside. And it's a real one. You come back and you start to have an outbreak of players testing positive for mm-hmm. COVID-19. That that's a, that's a PR crisis disaster that could kill you for years. So, that's the calculus that that all these team, all these leagues have to uh, have. I do think Major League Baseball in particular wants to be first because I think they sort of see their role as um, as you know healing America, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's why you're seeing them really, really push hard, uh, putting out into the public sort of all these contingency plans. Um, so yeah, I mean. I don't think golf will be the first sport back, but but I um, but it'll be interesting to see once a sport comes back to see how how quickly they gear up. But again, you know, you saw the the the, the two examples that are big one. The Chinese basketball league started up again, 
players tested positive and they went back into quarantine. Mm-hmm. And in South Korea, um, they're sort of they're they're sort of trying now to do the same stuff. Dana White, you know, the UFC is its own independent entity. The player the the fighters don't have unions. You know, they really have a lot of power over these fighters. So if Dana White says, I'm renting an island and I'm going to, you know, we're going to fight here. And um, I'm sure there will be fighters who go and do it because the payday will be will be great. But I would, yep. you know, I think all these guys should should talk to medical people before they, you know, they sort of go out. I saw it. I saw Rachel Nichols, I want to say about two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, talking on the jump about the the theory that somebody or the, the idea that somebody had thrown out. It wasn't necessarily her idea, but I, I heard it from her that the NBA would essentially send all the teams to Vegas, do vigorous testing, and essentially sequester the league in one of the now basically empty hotels, set up in a few of the ballrooms, basketball courts, have a few practices for everybody, and then get back to it, and essentially have the guys live in quarantine for two months and and run the NBA. To me, I mean, like part of me as the selfish sports fan and lover of the NBA, I would love to watch basketball again. And I think a lot of people want to watch basketball again. Same here. Who who am I to tell these guys that you have to leave your families for two months? Potentially put it like if let's say that you know you leave and you're a basketball player in the NBA, you're 26 in the prime of health, and you're you're in wonderful health, earning millions of dollars again. That that's great. Your mom gets sick. You're gonna leave and then not be able to come back. I, how do you put these athletes in positions where? That that's so I I get it that we all selfishly want sports back. I want sports back in a big way. Trust me, all sports media wants sports back in a big way. Athletes are people, and and I think a lot of times in situations, unfortunately, we forget that. And this time more than anything else, when it literally could be a matter of life and death, it's an awful lot to ask or even float the idea. Let's get the league going in such a special way and pull athletes out of this. Whether it's you know. White, white with you know a, a, an island here, or the NBA trying to sequester, or MLB doing it. Part of me also, Richard, gets really frustrated that they would actually think that way. Um, well, I think even forget even forget even about basketball for a second. Um, baseball is basically saying that for four months we're going to sequester you in Arizona, where you'll be potentially without your families and everyone else. Yeah. So, you know, again, the athletes. This doesn't happen without athlete buy-in. So the real question is going to be. How much do they want to do that? And here's the real reality. You know, they're losing, you know, these guys are not being paid millions and millions of dollars for their salaries. So there is a massive incentive for them to do it. But there's there are very, very big human downsides. And one of them is to essentially, you know, it's almost like uh, and I'm not trying to be flippant here. It's like, do you want to be part of Survivor or one of these kind of experiments yeah. for like a, a couple months? Because that's what you're essentially going to ask with all these professional athletes for the most part at least early to do i think many of them will my question will be will all of them want to because you can't have a league like the nhl or the nba without literally every single player in the league agreeing to do it yeah it's it's an it's an awful big ask and i hope as all of us try and get sports back and we want to do the right things as as far as our fandom goes um that we make sure that we're doing the right thing for for everybody for the athletes for the spectators and everybody else involved Richard, I got to let you go, but thank you very, very much for coming up on the Forward Press. You got it. Always good to be with you, David. Stay safe, man. You as well. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, 
human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.